This evening we will be considering verse 6 of the Beatitudes, or verse 6 of chapter 5 of Matthew, the fourth, I believe, the fourth Beatitude, which says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. This Beatitude speaks of spiritual appetite. And the the verbs, let me just take the technical uh, side of things uh, quickly out of the way before we come to consider this passage uh, or this verse. The verbs uh, here in the Greek are uh, of the most strong nature. The the verb that is translated as hunger is the verb penao, which uh, is the deepest kind of hunger. It is the the most... uh, extreme kind of need and the verb used by our lord jesus here uh, to trans- uh, that is translated as thirsting is the word dipsao that carries with it the idea of thirsting for truth so jesus uses these two words uh, together to uh, to express the most basic or uses two words that express the most basic physical need to express something of a spiritual necessity as well. It's physical. It is continual. Only those, he says, only those who hunger and thirst will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the promise is they are blessed, and the promise is that they will be satiated, that they are blessed because they hunger and they thirst. And the reverse side is is equally true. So often it's kind of like a coin. When you have a positive affirmation, the negative side is also true. That if you do not hunger for or thirst for righteousness then you need to do some serious self-examination. And I hope throughout this uh, evening, this short devotional, this message, you would consider, do I, am I hungering and thirsting for this kind of righteousness? Because it is an important thing to note as you come to this passage, as you consider this statement by our Lord, that blessedness, does not take precedence over righteousness. It is righteousness that precedes blessedness. It is not one thing, uh, it is not that blessedness and seeking after blessedness that brings it. But as you seek righteousness, then you are truly blessed. Only those people who seek and thirst for righteousness first are truly happy, blessed, and filled. It is so often, and you sacrifice it in the altar of justice. Our Lord Jesus says, no, you seek justice, and the result is happiness. That's a very uh, superficial way of, of translating the, the word uh, blessed, but it is nonetheless true. All blessed people are truly happy. It is more than happiness, at least happiness like the world presents it, but it's no less than happiness. But so often people sacrifice justice just in order to be happy. And our Lord Jesus says, no, happiness comes 
when you seek justice. That blessedness is not uh, within the reach, happiness is not within the reach of those who hunger and thirst for other things besides justice. There are people who want blessedness, and we'll speak a little bit about it. But there are people who want and thirst for experience and, and blessing. They want to be happy, but those people will not receive it because they are not thirsting and hungering after righteousness. If we truly want to be blessed, happy, we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what we're being told here is that the supreme ambition of God's people, the supreme ambition of people, of those who are subjects of the king, of those who are citizens of the kingdom, is not material, but is spiritual. That we need to aspire the most excellent thing. That we need to seek first the kingdom of God and its justice and its righteousness. And all other things will be added to us. And that's what Jesus says, thirst, hunger for righteousness is primary. Thomas Watson, the, the 17th century Puritan, he, he has a book on, uh, that he does a series of sermons, expositions on the, on the Beatitudes. And in this Beatitude, he, he, he brilliantly puts it that Jesus, when he speaks of righteousness here, he's speaking both of imputed righteousness and of implanted righteousness. The righteousness of imputation is Christ's righteousness. We need to long and, hu and hunger for it. It is the righteousness that is our Lord's that we just uh, read at the beginning. The Lord, our righteousness, Jehovah Tzitkenu. He, it is that righteousness that we long and, and desire after. First and foremost, it is Christ's to give and it is ours to receive. But when it is ours, it is truly ours. So much so that when the Lord looks upon a believer who has trusted in Christ by faith, he, he looks upon him through the lenses of Christ's righteousness. We're clothed with the righteousness of Christ with his white robes. It not only covers our sins, but adorns our lives, as Thomas Watson says. And it is equal to all of us. Brother and sister, if you're Christ's, his righteousness is exactly equal in you as it is in your brother sitting next to you, as it is in your brother on the other side of this world. It is exactly the same righteousness that clothed the great Apostle Paul and the thief on the cross who believed on the Lord moments before his death. It is perfect and complete, as Paul says to the, to the Colossians. It is a perfect righteousness, and in him we are complete. It is a righteousness that even if our body is defiled by sin, although we say it with sadness, it is a righteousness that makes our head still undefiled. It is a blessed righteousness. But then Thomas Watson makes the distinction. But there is a, another righteousness. And we long for the righteousness that is imputed. And we long for the righteousness that is implanted. It is, he calls it, an inherent righteousness. It is a grace of the Spirit. When we are saved, our, our, our previously dead to this relationship with God, Spirit, now desires further 
relationship with God. And we understand that sin mars and, 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 and breaks the communion that we have with, with God. So we, we grieve over our sin. We desire to get rid of sin. We want righteousness. We want to be further advanced in communion. To use again the illustration of, of the thief on the cross and of the Apostle Paul. The, the thief on the cross was fully united with Christ by merit of Christ's righteousness. There was no more to attain there. But his communion, his sanctification element still needed to grow. And had he been given enough time on this world, had he been spared from death on that cross on that, on that day, he would have grown. The Spirit would have produced the fruit of the Spirit within him. And we need to long, we need to hunger and thirst for this righteousness. And that's what makes us blessed by hungering and thirsting. It is a mark of being alive. It is a mark of being born again. Thirsting and, and, and hungering for righteousness... Is, is something that only someone who is alive has, just like in the physical body. When is it that you don't feel hunger? It, it's when you die. When is it that you will never again feel thirst physically? It's when you've, you pass away. As, as newborn babies, it is uh, a hunger that Follows and it's this spiritual hunger spiritually that follows from the new birth as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. It was said by the, the old saint, Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, that in one of his sermons, that the greatest mark that he had of him being in the grace of God was that he had a strong desire after God. That was the greatest mark of salvation. It is the desire. It is happy. It is blessed, he says, when though we have not what we should, we desire what we have not. It is a mark of grace that though we don't have that we should have, we desire those things we don't have. That we may grow thereby. So this appetite is given by God, as well as the food that feeds this appetite is given by him. This world, this is perhaps the first of the, the, the Beatitudes that doesn't necessarily, have been emphasizing this throughout, uh, uh, that doesn't necessarily clearly, uh, at face value, jar with the world the first three beatitudes they, they, they were in clear antithesis with the world blessed are the meek blessed are the poor it, it clearly is contrary to the way of thinking of this world but when we come to this one hungering and thirsting for righteousness it doesn't necessarily at, at least immediately and obviously uh, come to me that the world doesn't like righteousness. The world loves righteousness in some way. The world likes right things. If you ask, if you go out on the street and press people for an answer, they will say that they want, they will admit that they want the right things. 
But then they will say to you, and this is where it, it is countercultural, just the same as the other Beatitudes, they will admit that they don't often do the right thing. And they don't really care about it. If they are frank and if they are honest, they will say, well, sometimes I, I, I do the wrong thing. But I'm not too bothered about it, as long as that wrong thing is not something egregious, like killing or, or something of the sort. It's not dreadful, like, like some, some of those atrocities that we see. They will say, well, it's not too bad. I try my best to live by the golden rule, as they, uh, as they say, to be good, to do unto others as I would have uh, people do unto me. The difference between the citizen of the kingdom of heaven and the and the and the the, the unbeliever, the unregenerate, unregenerate believer in this regard, is is a simple one. Is that for the believer, righteousness is not just something that we tack on in our lives when it's convenient. Our Lord Jesus says that righteousness is essential. For the spirit, just as eating and drinking is essential for the body. The great difference between the world and the believer when it comes to doing what is right is that the world will do what is right when it is convenient and expedient and the believer will, do, will desire to do what is right because he understands it is essential in my life. It's not just something that is nice. It's not just something that all things considered would be nice to have. The believer says, no, I need to have an attitude that, that is right in the sight of the Lord. It's not some kind of optional extra. It is essential. It's not just when it feels good to do what is right, what is right because it fulfills me. I need it. I need it as I need air to breathe, as I need water to drink, and as I need food to eat. Why? Because if I don't eat and I don't drink and I don't breathe, I'll die physically. And the believer says, if I don't eat and I don't drink and I don't breathe righteousness, I'll die spiritually. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying. It is just as essential And that's where this beatitude contradicts the way of the, uh, the thinking of the world. Being holy is, a, is not something that the world sees as essential. But we should. We ought to see it as essential. Just as essential as any other need. We have physical needs. Body uh, needs food, drink. It needs air to breathe. I would even argue that we have emotional needs. We are created as a social uh, creature. So we need friendship, we need relationship, we need, we need meaningful uh, uh, interactions in order to, to, to thrive as a species, to thrive as a, as a, a creature. And what the Lord Jesus says is, don't forget that we are a spiritual entity as well. 
And just as you need food for the body, just as you need relationships uh, for your emotional well-being, you need righteousness for your spiritual life. Isn't that countercultural? Isn't that a way that even we as Christians, let's admit it, we don't look at it in this way so often. When was the last time you thought about doing the right thing for the Lord as something that is as needed as eating? When was the last time that you felt hunger and thirst for righteousness? If I don't get this, I'll starve. If I don't drink this, I'll thirst to death. If I don't get this air, I'll, I'll suffocate. Jesus is calling us to have in mind our spiritual needs, to see our need. Our most basic spiritual need is righteousness. And why do we need it? Again, I already said it, but we need it because unless we are righteous, unless we are in the right with God, we will not see him. He is holy and just. And just as our fathers, uh, our first fathers, Adam and Eve, they, they were in perfect communion with God in the Garden of Eden. And because of sin, they, they made a mess of that. We, have now made a, uh, we are now suffering the consequences of that mess because of the lack of righteousness. And it's not just because of you know, original sin, not just because of what they did in the Garden Ever since, man has exchanged the truth for a lie, as Paul says to, in, to the Romans. And we worship and serve the created things rather the, than the creator. And this group includes all of us. When you speak to someone on the street, when you have this conversation about, uh, about the existence of God, it's often one of those proofs for the existence of God that gets used by Christians in debate uh, about the existence of God. They're saying that, well, that morality is a proof for God. That the fact that there is an absolute standard of what is good and evil, uh, therefore God exists. There needs to be a, a holy legislator. And often what you hear in return is that, well, I know what is right or wrong, and it's not because of God. Society tells me what is right from wrong. Or my parents educated me in this way. And, and that's the driving force for their morality, for their doing what is right. And that's why it is so wrong. And that's why the good works of the wicked are dirty rags in the sight of God. Because you are worshipping the, cre the creature rather than the creator. You're doing those things with, either because it makes you feel good about yourself, either because it, it, you're doing it uh, in order to please your parents, either because you're doing it in order to have a place in the society that you belong to. That's why you're, that's your driving force, that's your motivation, and that's idolatry. What God would have us is to do the right thing because he has told us what is the right thing. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. And that's why this society is so lost. No, and that's why all societies are so lost. 
no matter how good and proper they appear on the, on the face of it, because the motivation is wrong, because the, the heart is not there, it is sin. Even the good works, even the most altruistic of people, I don't care who they are. I know that ever since the, the passing, uh, the death of Mother, uh, uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, she, a lot of things have been revealed about her that kind of cast her in a, in a, in a worse light. I don't care if you're better than Mother, uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. If, you're, if you give all your life and all your possessions to help the poor and to do what is uh, right in the eyes of the world, if you're not doing it out of a heart to serve the Lord, to worship the Lord, it is dirty rags. It is not good. It is evil, just as evil works. And I think in this passage, or just after the, uh, in the passage that we just read, the Lord Jesus says something very, very clear. That illustrates this. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not see or not enter the kingdom of God. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees outwardly, morally, were some of the best that the world could offer. They, they gave to the poor. They, they, they did the right things. They were self-controlled. They lived uh, outwardly upright lives. They fasted. They prayed several times a day. All of this that they did. And Jesus says, it's not good enough. Your righteousness needs to surpass their righteousness. Why? Because when they gave to the poor, they blew the trumpets around them. When they prayed uh, several times a, a day, they only prayed when people were looking. When they fasted, they made it so that... And this is all things that the Lord Jesus will bring up in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. When they fasted, they made it so that they looked... Depart. Why? Because their motivation was not God. They only did it because others were looking. Their righteousness was, uh, was uh, conditional on what kind of audience was there. Whatever words they used, whatever kind of fasting they showed in their faces, it was so that others would admire them. It was all motivated by wrong motivations. They weren't hungry for righteousness. They weren't thirsty for righteousness. They just wanted their own self-righteousness to be exalted. And this is a problem that is not limited to the Pharisees only. This is something that we can ask and self-examine in our own lives. What do I do when, the Lord, when no one else is looking? How do I act? What do I think and what do I say? And how, what, what kinds of things I do in the, in the, in the dark uh, and in the safety and in the secret of my bedroom? When no one else is there, when no brothers and sisters are there to see me, when no one in the world, uh, when no eyes of men are there to, to look upon my actions, how do I act? How do I behave? Shouldn't it be that we have a clear sense that God is always looking? 
And the reality is that our righteousness is not sufficient. Ultimately, it is always tainted. And that's why we thirst and, and, and hunger for righteousness. We understand that there is no righteousness that is sound in us. Ask any believer, any true believer, and he will say, he is just a wretched man in need of grace. Ask the most pious of believers whose life is a challenge to us all. And he will say, I'm not good enough. I need still more righteousness. And it is a righteousness that is not my own. It is the perfect righteousness of Christ. Because our righteousness is always tainted. But that's the good news of the gospel. That even though there is no righteousness in us that is sufficient, that is appropriate, the good news of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus came into this world and set up, uh, I'll, I'll say this respectfully, a famine relief program so that all of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness would have their fill. That, so that all of those who, who are desperately thirsting and starving would be provided for. That the that, 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 that starving sensation would be met with the most wonderful feast of God's providence. It is in the gospel that the righteousness of God or from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It is in the gospel that this great exchange happens. That this, the, that this program where our starvation is, is replaced with fullness, where God makes him who knew no sin, who is perfectly righteous, to become sin on, so that we may become the righteous, on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God. He made sin for us. That's the gospel. But yet, there is this sense that yes, we receive the imputed righteousness, but we are still not complete. We are fully, truly saved by the righteousness of Christ. And yet there is this longing that gets introduced we are put in the, in the right relationship with him. But then it starts, doesn't it? The reality is that it is only after we are born again, after we've been justified, that this thirsting and this hungry begins. And that the more we get filled, the more we, uh, we, 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 are, we are hungry. And the more we drink, it's kind of like drinking salt water. You're thirsty, you drink salt water, and you realize that you're still even more thirsty now. Yet that's what the gospel does to us. As we grow in grace, we realize the more, that we actually need more grace. That by the time we get to the end of our lives, we are starving and thirsting in a way that has never been true in our lives. 
if God is at work in us. But he does feed the hungry. He does give us a fill. So where does this thirsting end? Where does this hungering end? In heaven. It's where it ends. When no more sin is present, when no more longing is necessary. And again, like the other Beatitudes and like the the Beatitudes that will follow from this one, we get to heaven. It is heaven, the the central theme. It is the kingdom of heaven coming. These are the, this is the, 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 the pre, the, the, the characteristics of the citizen of heaven. Therefore, it's only in heaven that we find the full, complete realization of these things. This is no coincidence. It is only in heaven that we will receive fullness. Because in heaven there will be no more sin. In heaven our thoughts, our actions will be pure because sin will have no place there. So the question for us is, do we have that hunger? Do we feel this, grow, this with a growing intensity? If we, uh, even if we feed it, we still want more. Do we long for more of it? Or are we just satisfied? Because the greatest paradox in this beatitude is that the more you fill yourself, the greater need you have you're satisfied. Let's not be wrong about it. We're fully satisfied with Christ's work accomplished on Calvary Street, but we're never satiated. Because satiate, that, that being filled is only a characteristic of being in heaven. Although we are truly citizens of heaven now, we're not fully yet. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And we as believers, as we come to this Lord's table, we are feeding and drinking on the righteous act of Jesus, Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. 